I can see how I begin to to see Jesus incorrectly and uh, it starts to change the way in which I live my life, the respect that I give him and things like that. And uh, the truth is that in the current culture of the American church today, Jesus has been turned into something that he never was and never will be. And uh, just a few things that come to mind. I mean, Jesus is always nice in the way that we that we talk about him, in the way that people preach about him, in the way that we think about him. I mean, he always has uh, like a goofy grin on his face and a little uh, halo over his head, and he's just there to make you feel good. Um, the other thing is that Jesus always is all about whatever makes our lives feel better to us. And it's crazy that, that people just think Jesus is like, I dream of genie or something like it. We just, he's there to kind of fulfill our needs and kind of make us feel good. And he doesn't demand any respect whatsoever. He's just there to kind of fix things for us. We'll talk to him. We'll think about him whenever it's going to be beneficial to us. Uh, we look at Jesus and he's our superstar or he's our homeboy. And we think that Jesus is just like this, just this friend that demands absolutely no respect. And what you see in our current American church culture is plain and simply that Jesus has been changed. And so therefore, the way in which Jesus is treated, the way in which Jesus is talked about, the way in which people interact with Jesus in their personal lives is different than what Jesus commanded and, and demanded while he was living and walking around on the earth. I mean, let me just, before we jump into the passage that we want to look at today, let's just, let's just look and, and just a couple of things that Jesus said. Jesus said, and we'll talk even more about this on Easter, uh, Jesus said, before you jump into this thing, you need to count up the cost. He talks about how if a builder is going to build a building before they start, they actually count it up. And then he says, not, not long after that, he says to these people, the crowds of people who are talking to him and listening to him, he says to them, hey... If you want to follow me, then you have to be prepared to die. To be prepared to die. In our current culture, I mean, what do we tell people? What have we told people for 50 or 60 years in the American church? Like, hey, if you want joy and happiness, then become a Christian. But Jesus said, like, hey, follow me because of who I am. It's what I demand. And you might die because of it. I mean, and most of them did in the early church. That's the crazy thing. Most of the early Christians, especially the ones who followed Jesus the closest, died. And in Palm, on Palm Sunday, we see this story of, of Jesus entering into Jerusalem to these shouts of acclamation. And the people, as, as maybe you could have picked up on today, uh, the people chanted Hosanna, Hosanna, and they, they, were, they were crying out these praises to Jesus. And I need to give you just a little bit of background information on, on kind of the time in which Palm Sunday took place. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the last time where we believe he would eventually a week later die for the sins of all of humanity. 
the time in which Jesus lived, there was an expectation for a promised one who would come. They called him the Messiah. Maybe you've heard that term before. And they believed that the Messiah would come and he would make everything right for the Jewish people. And by right, what they meant was that this Messiah, whoever he might be, the one sent from God, would start a military takeover, a military coup, and would rise up politically and overthrow the Romans who at the time were over the Jewish people. They were, they were living, the Jewish people, under Roman oppression. And so they were looking forward to it more than any other time in the history of, of Judaism. They were looking forward to this guy who would come, sent by God, and he would overthrow the Romans and everything would be right for them. So Jesus is born in that culture and he lives in that culture and then he enters into Jerusalem as a 30-year-old, a 33-year-old in, in that culture. And these people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the word Hosanna, Hebrew word, was a, a word of, of anguish, a word of crying out and asking for help. It meant save please, and you can read it in the book of Psalms. But over time, as words will do, you know this, the word changed in its meaning. And because of what happened in the book of Psalms, and it's where David cries out, Hosanna to God, he's like, save me, and then God immediately saves him. Over time, it became known as a word of, of salvation already having happened. And so eventually, it became salvation, salvation, salvation has arrived. And if you said Hosanna, it really meant that salvation was upon you, things had become right in your life. And so what these people are crying out to Jesus is, the Messiah is here to save us. That's pretty good. I mean, if you've been around church and you've been in, in Christian circles, then whenever salvation comes to somebody's life, it's a really good thing and we get excited about it. And, and so this, this is a pretty exciting moment for this group of people, Jesus and those who followed him, those who hung out with him, those who had gone and got a donkey so that he could enter into Jerusalem. And, and it had to be for these, these first disciples, these first followers of Jesus, kind of a, a confusing time. Because if you read the story of Jesus, they actually were questioning whether he would come into Jerusalem or not. They were worried because they knew that there were people in Jerusalem who wanted to kill him. And so it's an interesting moment, like you get all geared up and like, well, they might kill Jesus today. And then all of a sudden, Hosanna, 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 and everything's feeling good. And the disciples are probably a little bit worried and they're probably a little bit excited and they're probably a little bit confused. And they're thinking, what is going on here? And Jesus, if anything is ever gonna like puff you up as a person, it's when you walk into a room or into a city and everybody starts chanting, salvation is here. Like this guy is going to fix things for us, right? I mean, you've seen like maybe moments where, a basketball player is hurt in Portland's history. If, you, if you're a Trailblazer fan, then you, you might remember, maybe, if you're just my age, you can barely remember, but Kevin Duckworth was injured and he came back in the Western Conference playoffs and, and the crowd went absolutely berserk. One of the great Blazer moments, great history moments of the Portland Trailblazers because everybody's thinking like, this guy is going to save us. That was never gonna be the case with Kevin Duckworth. I, I, I think Portland fans have become smarter over time, but anyway. And he came back, and there's a similar moment in Portland's history with Brandon Roy, and you didn't think he was going to play because his knee was hurt, and then he did, and he never could play again. But that's a different story. And so these moments where somebody arrives on a scene, and you just, you go, this is, this is the one who's going to fix it. 
And if anything is going to make Jesus like really excited in an earthly sense and his humanity like really pumped up, like, man, they're, they're chanting Hosanna, Hosanna. They like me. They, they think I'm the savior of the world. But then the crowds go away and the chanting stops and things get really weird because what we see next in this story that continues and sometimes is forgotten about on Palm Sunday. All I remember from Palm Sunday is a kid is hitting beach balls and, and sometimes having palm leaves there to, to wave around. That's all I can remember about Palm Sunday. But the story actually continues past the chance. And it's really important because you, you'd have to ask like, how can this happen? Because Luke 19, 41, after everybody's chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the guy that's gonna fix everything for us. This is what we read about Jesus. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. It's not what you expect. I mean, it's a party, like there's beach balls. Maybe not, you know, the first time it happened, but in my church growing up, there was beach balls and there's palm branches and it's exciting. But Jesus' response is to approach the city of Jerusalem and to start weeping. And the train kind of looks like this. There's a small downslope as Jesus would have passed the crowds of people. And then there would have been an upslope and he would have gone on an incline. And then there would have been a smooth uh, set of rocks. And then from that spot right there, still to this day, it's pretty obvious where Jesus actually entered in Jerusalem. Because there's these smooth rocks and you can look out and you can see the entire city. And then Jesus Starts crying. He starts weeping, actually. The word shows us that it was audible. It wasn't like just choking back tears. It was like Jesus is, is crying so that everybody around him can hear it. This is a major, like, plot turn. I mean, this is, this is like, I see dead people stuff. Like, I mean, like, you don't see this coming when the crowds are chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's like, this is good. This is exciting. He's not going to die. Everything's going to be okay. And then Jesus sees Jerusalem and he starts sobbing, starts weeping. I mean, can you imagine being in like the group with Jesus and you're hanging out with them and you're all laughing and like, oh, that was cool, man. Like they were chanting and, and, and then Jesus starts crying. That's awkward. You know, like I'm going the other direction. And we see in the next three verses of Luke 19 the reason why Jesus cries over the city of Jerusalem. And, and I really do think it's one of the reasons that that if Jesus were to enter into our country today, that he would cry over our country. And if Jesus were to come to most churches in our country, I think it's the reason that Jesus may cry when he enters, even though he, he, he hears people singing Hosanna. And this is what it says, Luke nineteen forty two. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus looks out at the city and says, hey, if you had known what would bring you peace. The word peace is a little bit of a play on words. It's shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you had it on a plaque somewhere, right? And uh, we kind of know that word. But Jerusalem, actually, if you look at the etymology of it, comes from that. And you can hear it, Jerusalem. You hear that? And so it's a play on words as he looks out over the city that's, that's really defined by peace in its very title and he looks out and, and he's like if you had known what would actually bring peace to this city what would actually make peace in this city 
Now, it, it draws us back to a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 48, 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have made you like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. This is the type of peace that goes really beyond anything that, that, that we think of when we think of peace because we think of peace as like this good feeling. I, I don't know if it's you. Like, I feel very peaceful today. This is a, a peaceful place to sit. The breeze is peaceful. But when Jewish people use the word peace, they, re, they mean like total wholeness and fullness and it's like being it's like a being a whole person and having everything be really right within your soul and so Jesus is like looking out at the city he's like if only you would have known what would actually make things right for you what would make things better for you what would make things good in you what would bring you true joy and true peace in our sense and true happiness if only you would have known. Now this is kind of weird, right? If you're like paying attention to the story because these people were crying out like salvation has come. And if you've been around the church and you've been around Christianity, you think, well, that wholeness and that peace comes through salvation. It comes through salvation. And so what does Jesus mean here? And he'll answer that question at the end of verse 44, but let me, let me just look at verses 43 and 44, the first half first. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. Jesus makes a prediction. He's looking out over Jerusalem. It's part of the reason he's crying. And he says, look, you're gonna be destroyed. And he said this before as he was preaching and teaching and walking around. But he says, you are going to be destroyed. And we know that in AD 70, about 40 years later, this actually took place. One guy said this, in AD 70, Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans after a series of skirmishes with the local population. The city, although equipped to withstand a long siege, had internal strife. The community within its walls was divided into factions. Jerusalem eventually fell to the Romans after just a few months. Much of it was burned with fire. The temple platform was stormed and the temple itself destroyed. This was the destruction by the Romans at the hands of a guy named Titus and it was very, very severe. Another man said, in fortifying a camp or besieging a city, a ditch was dug around the entire circuit and the earth from it thrown up into a wall upon which sharp stakes were fixed. Every Roman soldier carried three or four of these stakes on the march. And so you see what they do here. They dig out a trench and with the extra dirt, they build a wall so that nobody can leave the city. They trap people and this is what the Romans did. And you can see it in the language of Jesus. He's literally describing what would happen to these Jewish people just 40 years later. Another guy said a rampart first of wood and when this was burnt, a built wall four miles in circuit, built in three days, so determined were they. This cut up all hope of escape and consigned the city to unparalleled horrors. So he doesn't actually, it doesn't take place in, in the exact way that Jesus says, but the prediction comes true just 40 years later. Jesus uses some hyperbole to say that no stone will stand and we know that some stones stood and Jesus talks about babies and moms being dashed against the rocks and we know that while some of that happened, it wasn't as widespread, but Jesus uses this hyperbole to say, hey, if you had known, if you had known what would bring you true peace, if you had known what would bring you true peace, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. 
And then you say, okay, here's the answer. The end of verse 44 gives us the answer. Why when these people were chanting Hosanna, Hosanna, and it looked like they really thought Jesus was something special, why is it that they didn't recognize the coming of peace upon their lives? And this is what it says. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The word is actually the visitation. It's a common word used in the Bible for God actually visiting people for blessing or for destruction. So Jesus is, in fact, uh, saying, look, you missed it. You missed God's coming to you. And in Luke 168, near the beginning of this gospel, this, this record of Jesus' life written by a man named Luke, it says, praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. What Jesus is saying here is, look, you understood me to be something, but you didn't understand me to be the God of the universe. You didn't understand that in my coming, God had come to you, and he had come to you in order to remove your sins. You see, what Jesus is saying to these people What he's saying about these people is you thought I was great, you thought I was kingly, you thought I was something special, but you didn't recognize me for who I was and you didn't recognize what I came to do. Jesus weeps over the city and says that they didn't understand that their peace had come upon them because they didn't know that in his coming, God had come upon their lives and they didn't know that in his coming, Salvation was offered for the forgiveness of sins. They wanted Jesus to be something that Jesus wasn't. They wanted Jesus to be a king that would make their lives a little bit better while they lived on earth, but he came in order to set things right for eternity. And when they find out just a few days later, just a few days later, that he was not going to set up a political takeover, that he was not going to start a revolution. They turn their backs on them and they nail him and they nail him to a cross. And so when Jesus looks out over this city, he looks out and he says, you didn't recognize who I am and what I came to do. And the sad, sad reality is that this is the case in churches everywhere. I mean, I just think about This morning, Palm Sunday, all over our country, all over the world, people will be going into churches and they will be chanting, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I think that Jesus is looking down on so many this morning, on this day where people are celebrating and excited and he's weeping because he's going, you don't understand really who I am a God that must be respected, a God that must be worshiped, a God that demands your whole life, and you don't really can't understand what I came to do, and that is to remove your sins. And what we have allowed for people to do in misunderstanding our day of visitation, the day of visitation, is we allowed for people to kind of half-heartedly jump into Jesus. I go, yeah, good guy. I really enjoy singing him on Palm Sunday and Easter. That's cool. Makes me, I have somebody to pray to. that's That's a good deal. I'm not going to serve him with my life. I mean, why would I do that? 
I can get off easy. I can get in heaven someday and just kind of not give him too much now and I get my life here and I'll get my life in eternity and things will be great and it will be cool. And that's just missing the day of visitation. It's plain and simply misunderstanding who Jesus is and why Jesus came to remove people's sins. Just before Luke records this story about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and just before we see Jesus weeping over the city, we read a story about a person who didn't miss his day of visitation. I want to read you that story because it's such a contrast between just simple cries, hey, yeah, we like this guy, he's going to make everything good for us, and a man who really recognized Jesus for everything he was, for everything that Jesus offered. His name is Zacchaeus, and this is his story. Jesus entered Jericho, which is just before Jerusalem on Jesus' traveling way, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let me pause there. Chief tax collectors were the worst of the worst in Jewish society. You could not be any lower. And uh, my taxes aren't done, and so I feel the same right now about chief tax collectors. But but you understand, like, this was way more than the IRS. These were people, usually, who were Jews, and they had turned on the Jewish people and started working for the Roman government, who was oppressing the Jewish people, and they were there to collect taxes. But they did didn't just take the money that you owed. They stole from you. If you owed $100, they'd come in and they'd say, we're going to need $300. And that's how they paid their own salary. And so these chief tax collectors were getting rich off poor people. I mean, they weren't like Robin Hood where they stole from the rich and they gave to the poor. They were like the opposite of Robin Hood where they were stealing from the poor so that they themselves could become rich. And he is a chief tax collector. This is like public enemy number one, a guy that would have known everybody looked at him in his culture and thought that he was bad, that he was evil, and he probably knew within himself that he was bad and he was evil. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Isn't that different than just a crowd that came to chant, that already had an idea of who Jesus ought to be, that was trying to force Jesus into their box? Isn't that different He didn't show up going, Jesus, this is who you are. This is who you're going to be because this is what I want you to be. He just came because he wanted to know who Jesus really was. Big difference. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Listen to what Jesus says. He jumps right to the heart of Zacchaeus and why Zacchaeus cared, why Zacchaeus was willing to give up anything for him. He says, he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Four, four, the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. You see, in this story, we have a broken 
person, somebody who realizes that they're not good enough, they're not worthy. And they look at Jesus, they say, okay, I see who you are. You're somebody who can forgive my sins. You're somebody who can make things right in my life. And because of that, you see Zacchaeus instantly is willing to just pour out his life for Jesus. He's willing to give everything for Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm gonna pay back even more than I owe people, which would have made him probably poor and broke. I mean, the guy was making his money by ripping people off. And so to give back the money that he had ripped off is basically saying, I'm willing to be poor for you. And it's because he didn't want Jesus just to make his life a little better. He wanted Jesus to take away his sins. And when Jesus did, when he recognized Jesus for who he was, and he understood him, he said, it doesn't matter what I have. I'll give it all for you. I look around at Christians in America today, including myself sometimes, and we are, we are so unwilling to give away anything for Jesus. I mean, we, we look at Jesus and we just, we want Jesus to fit into our box and to give us the stuff that we desire. And we, we, we think that Christianity is, you know, just simply showing up on Sundays and we sing some songs and, we, and maybe we can try to squeeze in a little extra Bible time and, and we'll maybe pray every now and then. But Jesus makes clear that he's demanding our entire lives. And the truth is, the simple truth is you will never give Jesus all of yourself until you put down the fake notion of who he is and you recognize him as a God that demands respect, a God that is God, a God that needs your worship, a God who desires all of you and who came not to make things a little bit better while you live on this earth, but came to take away your sins so that you could have eternity in heaven. And the truth is, I'm just being honest with you, there are far too many in our churches that just need to recognize their day of visitation. They're messing around with Christianity. And Jesus is looking down and he's weeping and he's going, look, you're missing what brings true peace. You're, you're missing what brings true joy. You're missing what's ultimately going to save you. And he's looking down and he's weeping because right now, if you don't make a change, then you are going to be destroyed. And I just, I think, I think, and I don't know about you, but we have this false idea of Jesus, and it makes for a false idea of Christianity. And we kind of go through the motions and try to do whatever makes us feel good as far as Christianity goes, but we don't really give ourselves to Jesus. And all our relationship with Christ is, all of it, is showing up on a Sunday morning. And, and I'll, just, I'll just throw this out there, and you can ask it in your own heart, in your own mind. Last week, between church and, and church this week, how much did you focus on living your life for Jesus? And if you're like, nothing, then man, this morning is a day when you need to recognize who Jesus is and what he really came for. Because when we, when we really grasp that, when we're really like, this is the God of the universe who stepped out of heaven 
He came out of heaven where it was perfect and, and pretty and everything that you could ever possibly imagine. He came out of it and then he walked around with people and at the end of that life, he died on a cross. And he did that so that my sins could be taken away. When you really grasp that, you don't go, oh, I'll kind of worship Jesus on Sunday and I'll kind of worship Jesus next Sunday and that's Christianity. But you say, no, 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 I will give away everything for you. You can have all of me. You can have every ounce of who I am. Nothing else matters when you recognize what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is. And what I don't want you to think is that Jesus sits in heaven going, sweet, they showed up and they sang some Hosanna songs. What I, what I really need you to hear, because it's important for me, is that Jesus might be weeping in heaven right now even though you sang those songs. He might be up in heaven weeping because he's looking at you going, you're going to be destroyed because you did not recognize what could truly bring you peace and that is understanding that I am the God of the universe who came not to make your life a little bit better, not so that you could be a little bit happier, but so that you could be saved for eternity. I'm telling you, when we realize that, it changes everything. And if everything has never been changed in your life, by Jesus, then nothing has been changed in your life except for maybe you have to get up earlier on Sunday morning because it makes you feel good. I want you to recognize your day of visitation. And for, for each of us, you know, that day comes differently. For some of you, your day of visitation, Jesus is, is saying, look, here's how I'm reaching out to you and it, it's simply through the Bible. And he's like, look, I left this book and here it is and you can read it and it's a story about me and how much I love you and, and I, I want you to recognize who I am and why I came and I want you to give yourself to me. For others, it, it's you showing up here today and, and you've shown up for some reason and, and you're here and you're thinking, I don't even know why I got out of bed this morning. And, and it's because Jesus somewhere is going, hey, I want you to have real peace. I want you to have real joy. Not just a few songs on a Sunday morning. Not just, I kind of pray to Jesus when it makes me feel better. He wants you to have real peace. For others of you, there's a voice inside of you. Maybe not a loud voice, maybe not an audible voice, but just there's something in you in your heart and it's like compelling you and you just keep thinking like, I'm gonna suppress it because I, I'm scared to give all of my life to Jesus because it might mean that I lose friends. It might mean that I have to listen to different music. It might mean I, whatever you're scared of, I don't know. But it might mean these things for your life and you're like, I, I'm sure I think Jesus might be, you know, God who came to forgive sins and I, I know I'm a sinner and I recognize that, but I don't... I, I'm just gonna suppress that feeling, those thoughts that say something's not right in your life. It's time to recognize your day of visitation. I just think, and I have to preach these sermons. I have to preach them. I hope that, you know, all of you have recognized your day of visitation. Jesus has come into your life. You've called him God. You've called him the forgiver of your sins. And you can look at every single week, not just on Sundays, and you go, man, I, I did. I tried to live for God this week. That was my goal and my aim because I, I know who brings the real peace in my life. But, but the reality is that in that crowd on Palm Sunday, it was a mixture of people 
people who really understood Jesus, people who just cried Hosanna, Hosanna because it seemed like the cool thing to do and that's probably the majority of those people and then some people who hated Jesus for real, really what Jesus was about and they just wanted to shove Jesus in their box. And that's the truth in church. I know that. And so it's important for you to hear that, first of all, maybe you're not a Christian. I mean, if you're like, just look at Jesus and you're not like Zacchaeus who, who said, look, who is Jesus? And then recognize this is the God who came to save people and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that salvation because it's good. Then, then you're not really a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've been in church forever. It doesn't matter if you sang the songs this morning. It doesn't matter if you prayed last week. If you're not like, Jesus is God who came to die for people's sins and then he rose again and I'm gonna give him my entire life and I'll make mistakes and mess up sometimes, but I'm gonna give him all of me, then you aren't a Christian according to Jesus, the Christ who we follow as Christians. So some of you need to recognize that day of visitation. And then there's others of us. And this is me, I go, I know that it just, it moves around and, and we allow for kind of the American Christian culture to just kind of change our view for times in our lives and we forget about who Jesus is. And what we do is we just kind of drift and we're like, well, man, Jesus isn't gonna be that upset if I give in to this sin today. Jesus won't be, you know, Jesus doesn't bring that much joy to my life. He doesn't demand that much from me. And we allow for ourselves to think of him as less. Even though we've recognized our day of visitation, we have peace, we, we just, just kind of go through the motions. And so this morning, maybe you are a Christian, but you just needed to hear this because you, Jesus is like, hey, I want your heart back. I want you to remember who I am and what I did for you. I want you to sing those songs for real. I want you to sing them. It's like, like it's the first time you've ever sang to me because you just, you love me so much. I just, uh, it was said of Jesus and his weeping, he knew that within a week he would be crucified there. He knew also that in 40 years Jerusalem would be destroyed. He could see from the corner of his eye the money changers outside the temple and knew that this magnificent city was under, undermined by the cancer of unbelief and sin. And I look at our nation, even our churches, too many of them, and it is paralyzed by sin and unbelief. A false Christianity is seen in our churches. A Christianity where people want something from Jesus, but they don't want to give anything away for him. And when we recognize our day of visitation, when we really grasp Jesus for all he is and what he really did, then we count up the cost and we say, Jesus, you can have all of it. You can have all of it. You can have every ounce of me because I know you gave every ounce of you. And so this morning, what I want from you is I want you to examine. I mean, you look at Jesus as a, a genie that fixes things for you, that doesn't demand much from you, or do you look at him as God, like the God of the universe who came to earth to die for your sins? And then I'll ask you, what is he calling you to give? Maybe it's your life this morning and you'll recognize that for the first time, but what about the rest of you? What is Jesus calling you to give? What is he asking for? What are you not giving him? What are you holding back? Maybe this morning you think about that and you remember that Jesus is the God Savior and you should be willing, like Zacchaeus, to give away everything. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm sorry for 
how often we make you something that you're not, how often we we just kind of like the idea of what we want you to be, but not really who you are. God, you said some hard things when you were walking around on the earth, and Lord, there's there's people in front of me right now who have not given everything to you because they they like some idea of you and they're in church this morning simply because because it makes them feel good or somebody invited them and they're sick saying no or whatever but but they haven't really recognized you for who you are and and they don't have a real relationship with you and God as I prayed for this week as I prayed this week as I was preparing to come here and preach God I I just pray that this morning you would change that. And Lord, instead of suppressing that small voice in people's hearts and people's minds that's calling them to you, instead of pushing that down, I pray that this morning, God, they, they would just give into it and, and say, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna count up the cost and give it all to you, Lord. And I pray that this morning they would be led to the cross, not just to the crowd, not just to this church. You led them here, but they would really be led to the, to the cross, Lord. And they, God, would see you for all that you are and all that you did. And they would recognize in themselves that there is no hope apart from the peace that you bring by pouring out your blood for us. It's an incredible thing. And God, we just kind of dismiss it. And I pray you change that, God. I pray you change that. And I pray for all of us who are here this morning that we would listen we would listen and your Holy Spirit, God, would, would come in and move in a new way this morning. You would call us, God, to give all of ourselves, every ounce of ourselves to you. Not for no reason, but because you are the God and Savior of this universe. Because you absolutely deserve it. Lord, it's easy to cry out to you. It's easy to sing a few songs to you, Lord. That's simple. It's hard to give you our lives, and we'll only do it when we understand who you are and how much you paid to save us. And so this morning, God, I know, I know there's people here, God, there's people listening that, that aren't Christians. They feel better about themselves because they're coming on Sunday mornings, but I pray that, that they would realize that you're up in heaven sad because of where they're at. And I pray that you would bring them to salvation this morning. I pray that they would recognize the day of their visitation. I pray that today would be their day of visitation, Lord. I don't want anybody in our church to go to hell. Bring them to you. In your name.